This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 204. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hood, and I am here uh, with another special guest interview today from somebody who's kind of a legend, I guess, in the logo space, in the design space, a guy that goes by, I guess his brand is Made by James, and his name is James Martin. And for anyone who hasn't heard of this guy, this interview is one of my favorites that I've had in a, in a while because we get to go really deep into any sort of freelance business work. This is not just for designers. If you're a designer, great. You're going to have a lot of things that are, are specifically caters to you. But for all of our other freelancers to listen, here's what we dive into for this interview. We talk through him being in one of the most oversaturated niches that I think exists in the design world. I could be wrong, but from my perspective, a logo designer, like logo designers are everywhere. This is a hard place to stand out. And James has done such a great job of building a client acquisition machine for his freelance business that we talked about through this on the interview. He gets 800 to 1,000 quote requests or inquiries per year. That's like 75 to 80 per month. So if you're interested in figuring out how to get more quote requests, even if you're in a saturated market, this interview is absolutely going to be for you. We also go through some of the processes and things he's built out as a freelancer to really make his business run like a machine. And I say that in a really good way, meaning like the parts that are not creative all run like a machine, like any good freelancer should do. You should be building your business up to be a machine so that you're freed up as the creative to be creative. And James has done a really good job of that. So we talk through systems he's built out for himself. We talk through how he's worked his way up to bigger and better clients, you know, the smaller nickel and dime projects all the way up to now charging three to five to 10 to 20, 40, $50,000 for project now. And how he used to do like 60 to 80 to 100 projects a year. Now he's actually brought it back down to 20 to 30 a year with much higher price per project. So for anyone listening right now, there's going to be something in this interview for you. So so I'm going to end this long intro here and go straight into my conversation with James Martin. So James, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, my dude. Yeah, no, thank you for, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. A pleasure. Yeah, we were joking about this earlier before we even started recording that like it's into day Friday for you. Like this is the last thing you're doing. And I'm like, man, if you have any energy left at this point for anything to give our audience at this point, I consider that a win and, uh, and a victory for, for creatives around the world. Because like in our world, like there's so much that gets drained out of us when we're doing creative work at a high level. I don't know about you, but like at the end of a day, especially a Friday, I just want to turn on a TV and let the TV talk to me. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I mean, to be, like I said, like I'm pretty up from when I wake up to when I go to sleep, but I also sleep for a long time. So anything in between that, even Friday afternoon, I'm pretty banging. So, and also, also sunny today in the UK and it's Friday. Which is rare. Are <laughs> uh, very rare. So yeah, it's a win, win, win. Well, let's dive into this, man, because I think there's a lot that you can bring our audience of building a successful uh, freelance business. And specifically, I've already mentioned all this in the, in the intro, that you are a logo designer and you do a, a bunch of other stuff. You've kind of like evolved over the years. You've been in business for 17 years now, I think you said. And to me, logo design has to be, I don't know the design world that well, because that's not my background, but logo design has to be one of the most oversaturated industries for a designer. Would you agree or disagree? Or like, what's your thoughts on how saturated that world is? Yeah, I mean, I think with the birth of social media, I think it has become that space. I don't think it always was. Social media has happened and through social media, there's been this kind of big drive towards people niching down or 
you can make X amount of money as a designer and you can make X amount of money doing this. And, you know, as much as I love social media as a tool and how powerful it can be, I think what it has done is it's created a bit of a mixed conversation for what's possible for designers. I mean, people aren't particularly patient anymore. Like I was a graphic designer, a designer for over a decade before I niched down into logo design. And now I know kids who are coming out of college with no expertise or no industry know-how and focusing down into niches within niches without even understanding how the industry works. So it is super saturated, but I think that's because of how the design world has been portrayed through social media. So, I mean, I'm a slightly older bastard. I'm almost 40. You know, I've been in the game for like 17 years and my process or my journey in design was very much start at the bottom, work your way up. And now people just want to be at the top, even though they have no idea what they're doing. And I think I'm a bit worried to be fair about the industry and where it's going. But what I do know is the people that are still here in 10 years time are the right people. That's all I'm going to say. 100% agree with that. And so there's a neon sign on my wall that I don't know if you can see in the screen, depending on how you have your your window set up. It says, it takes more than passion. And that's kind of the motto of this podcast. And I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you the most about is those extra things above and beyond passion that are required in order to be successful. And I know that you're a very process-driven person based on what I've seen from you, based on what I've heard on other interviews with you, based on what I've seen in my own research, looking into your business and like getting into your own funnels and things like that. And so I want to talk about that because there's so many other freelance niches that are super saturated, like logo design. I can go to Fiverr right now and get somebody for 50 bucks to design me a logo. I can go to 99designs right now, and for 250 bucks, I can have 30 people throw me logo ideas. And yet, here you are, 18 years into your career, still successful. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you are so process driven. And I want to get into this today because I have a whole, I have like a bunch of bullet points, things I looked into your business to see what you're doing to stand out. And I think the first thing, that I want to talk to you about is the thing that is missing from so many people. And this is a big piece of what I call like your client acquisition puzzle is how you build trust with people. Because when I look at something like Fiverr, any of the designers on there, when I look at something like 99designs and the plethora of, of desperate designers that are on there, no, no offense to them. It's just, they don't understand business right now. They probably don't listen to this podcast. When I look at you though, I trust you so much from the wall behind you for any of who people are watching on YouTube right now and like how much cool stuff you have behind you, really cool backdrop with your, your custom designs back there to your Instagram with great stuff on there. Like just talk through some of the things that you've done over the years to build trust and credibility for yourself. Great question. And probably one we could talk about for a good few hours, but I think the first thing I want to start, what I start with is the passion word, you know, what we, what you mentioned there. And I think Firstly, like passions can be hobbies. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to make money out of a passion. I think that's a really important thing to know. And also there's the other point that your passions evolved, I think, with patience and with dedication. So I wasn't always a passionate designer. I didn't start off a passionate designer or graphic designer, or I definitely didn't start off with a passion for logo design. The longer that I was in the industry, the more time and energy I gave to the industry that passion kind of found me. If I went back to like 17 years old and followed my passion, I'd have been a drug-taking, alcoholic rugby player. Do you know what I mean? So I would be dead. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's really important. People always talk about following your passion. I, I actually try and 
I like to think your passion will find you if you give it enough time and you put enough energy into it. And I, I, tr I truly, truly believe that because I think some people go, oh, I really like that kind of confusing passion for like lust for fame. And I think that's probably what's, you know, a bit of a funny conversation right now. But again, we can kind of talk about that. So you actually brought up a really important point and then I'll go back to my question. And the point being like, we can be passionate about something and it's not really what our calling is. Sometimes as we start progressing towards something that's maybe better for us, something that is the area we need to be moving towards that we know in our gut is the place we should be going, even though it may not be our, our passion right now, that's still the thing that we learn to grow our passion in. And I, I can look at my past and think of like all the skills I've had to develop over the years to become more successful and to, to hone my craft into different areas. I've built passions for things that I had no idea I would have a passion for. So I think you nailed it when you said that like, sometimes we find our passion in doing deep, meaningful work. And a lot of that has to come from understanding process. So getting back into the process conversation, we can talk all about the process of design, all about the process of, of the actual work, but I really want to start with what you've done really well, which is the process of building trust for yourself. And you've done it through Instagram, social media, other areas. I think you do a lot on Pinterest. Just how, how you come across as such a credible designer. It starts from everything from your website design, like just talk us through some of the things and how you think through making sure that you would come across as a legitimate designer, someone that's above and beyond and better than the options on Fiverr and 99designs and the other places I could go find a designer right now. I mean, I, I, I like to kind of frame, I'm a big reframer, you know, rather than like, how do I get clients or how can I make money? You know, I personally think is how can I get clients to trust me? How can I get clients to trust me enough to give me their money? When you reframe it in that way and you look at yourself inwardly from a client's point of view, from a different perspective, I'm thinking like, what would a client want to see? What would somebody wanting to part with their decent hard-earned cash want to see from me to be able to do that? How can I make that easier for them? I think there's a couple of things. So the first one, I would say, what I like to call like your digital footprint. You know, you've even mentioned it just then. So what I would classify digital footprint is like everything that made by James, James Martin touches online needs to be up there. Do you know what I mean? So whether that's my website, whether that's my social media, so we can kind of break it down to certain things. So I still personally believe, although maybe many other people might not truly believe in it, I still think a website is your best asset. Do you know what I mean? Social media platforms, they can be taken away. We're living on rented land there. You know, what happened, what was it, six months ago, a year ago, Instagram went down. Anybody who had an Instagram business solely focused on Instagram suddenly lost everything. Do you know what I mean? That is a very dangerous space to be in. So... I, I truly believe as a creative, a website, somewhere where somebody can contact you, somewhere you can share a little bit about yourself, show your work and all the rest of it is, is essential. So I like to think of it as, like I said, this digital footprint where I've got my websites and I've also got my social media and there's also testimonials, so like Google reviews or whatever like that. So I'm thinking like if I was the client, if I found somebody on Instagram, for example, and I saw a load of cool work, I'd go, yeah, 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 they're really cool. But, you know, I'm looking to spend maybe up to 5, 10, 20K here. I'm not just going to go on a whim and just chuck that guy money. I want to go and check out his website. I want to go and check out some testimonials. I might jump on LinkedIn and see what's going on. 
I might go and check out Pinterest. I might go and maybe find one of his old clients and figure out, like I said, that was why testimonials are so good. So what I'm trying to do is at every single point on my digital footprint, we'll call it, if a client has any doubt, I'm ticking them. And that's where I think the next point comes in with reference to digital footprint is consistency. So at no point at any stage, do I not show up? So for example, I would think, you know, if I went on to go and employ somebody for work and the last post they did on Instagram was four and a half months ago, I'd be thinking, right, they're not working anymore. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And so I try and show up consistently. I'll try to update my website consistently. I try to get testimonials consistently. Like I have a process for actually acquiring testimonials from people. So it's always like pretty recent rather than two decades ago. Do you know what I mean? So when you try and reframe, like as a designer, we go, well, how do I get clients? How do I make more money? How do I get better playing clients? What we should be doing is thinking, reframing that slightly going, how can I get better paying clients to trust me? I need to show them everything possible to allow that to happen. And I think that comes through digital footprint and consistency and the combination of both. And also not being a massive dick. Do you know what I mean? I think being yourself is a, has been a huge asset to me for a very, very long time. I was trying to be something that I wasn't, you know, my first agency role, I, I didn't really know who I was then. I wasn't too sure who I was or what I wanted to be. And it held me back. But ever since I just leaned into this, it's gone tremendously well uh, because I'm very transparent about my process. I'm very transparent about my past and what I've been through. And I think where some people may think that should be private. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. But this is also my journey and my story. And if I want to tell it, I'm allowed to. And what that's actually done is that's made me a little bit more approachable and human. I think in such a digital landscape, which unfortunately as creators, we are very heavily in, whether we, yeah, especially also with COVID, when we couldn't even see anybody, it was all digital, it was all online. And it's very difficult to understand who's real, who's not. And that's what I would say to any freelance with your own business or your own small agency or whatever it is. Like your face and yourself is your, one of your best selling points. You know, people want to see a human and work with a human. So yeah, I suppose those, your face, digital footprint and consistency with all of those things wrapped up in a nice little bubble, I would say is a, is a good way to go. When I was talking to you before we even started recording, you just said, I'm an open book. I'll talk about anything. Like you were just like, I, there's nothing off limits that we, we can't go to. And I think that's one of your biggest strengths and something that our audience can really take a page from your playbook here and say like, are you being as open as, as James is? Because if James, you have 228,000 followers on Instagram, last I checked. And a lot of that, and from what I can understand, is because you're an open book on there. You share everything on there, your processes, you share behind the scenes, you share how you give me a great idea of what it would be like to work with you if I was looking to hire somebody. And that's, I think, what attracts people to you. And actually back in episode 202, me and my substitute co-host, Mark Eckert, we talked about how to attract your dream clients. And the whole gist of that episode was you attract them by becoming attractive and you become attractive by being the type of person that would attract a high class client. So if you're attracting only bottom of the barrel clients that you don't want, you probably have to start looking at yourself and say, 
man, I might need to start working on myself to become a better person that would attract these higher tier clients. And if you look at someone like James, our guest today, and what he puts out into the world, he puts out a lot of stuff that's going to attract a lot of high quality clients for his businesses. And most people listening today, if you're struggling with client acquisition, it's probably because you don't have that sort of content backlog, that digital footprint that James has put so much time, effort, and energy into building. And just to kind of point one thing out is you're not really even posting that much. Like you're posting maybe once a day on your main feed, maybe once a week on, on reels. And a lot of your reels are doing really well. Do you just want to touch really quick on, on some of that element of building your social following? Because not many people have 228,000 followers. To be fair, I mean, there has to be a plan and there has to, you know, everything that you and others see today has been five, 10 years in the making, you know, it hasn't happened overnight. And that's why I'm a big believer in having a plan and having a mission and figuring out your purpose and then allowing that to evolve at the speed it's supposed to. You know, I've, for example, when I started Made by James, you know, which was, I think, five or six years ago now, there's loads of cool logo designers out there. There's loads of cool logo designers, but I don't really know how they're made or the thinking behind them. So I just thought I'm going to start sharing my thinking. I'll start sharing sketches and talk people through my decision-making. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 why are you telling everybody all your secrets? And I'm like, I've seen the creative world, like, do this. Like, I always kind of grew up with it, you know, as a teenager and all the rest of it, being quite inclusive and, like, helpful. And people would always kind of help you out. But I think with the rise in social media, I don't know, I can't blame everything on social media. It could just be a generation thing. I don't know what it is, but... It seems to have become as quite clicky, oh, you have to pay for that if you want to know it, which I understand. You know, I've got a course now, but, you know, I think there's still, like, I can teach people and tell people how I create stuff and what my mind does, but that doesn't mean that they can just pick up my brain and use it and make money out of it. That's not really how it works. You know, it takes a long time to evolve this stuff. But when you kind of talk about, you know, the process with reference to like how it all came about, especially like with Made by James, what it is now, that was a plan five years ago that I want to kind of really niche down into logo design. And my only plan was I would just love it if I created logos all day for my clients, you know, got a busy agency, which was doing all sorts of stuff, but I didn't really like doing all sorts of stuff. And I just thought if I can get to a place where I'm designing logos all day, every day and making good money. I'm in a happy place. That's now happened. But now my kind of plan and everything's evolving because it kind of, I realized that, oh, hang on a minute. Maybe there's this, like I said, like I talk about loose plans. I had a plan to become a logo designer and everything like a book came into that, the opportunity to do a course, you know, podcasts, you know, so opportunities come in and like my mission was basically everything logo design. So everything that comes in with reference to logos, and I'll do, and I'll jump at it. If somebody says to me, do you want to start this dog walking company with me? I'll be like, it's not a part of my mission. Do you know what I mean? So having that kind of plan and knowing exactly where I want to be and who I want to become allows me to be very focused and clear about what it is I need to be doing on the daily. And when it comes to growing an audience, it was like, I'm purely going to be putting content out that allows clients to trust me. And I know if I can share stuff in and around how I think, I think that's going to be a really big selling point because there's not a lot of people doing that. So I've consistently done that over the last five years. And now, yes, I'm leaning a little bit more into 
as we kind of progress and how I progress, I want to kind of give back more to the design community because I want to be that guy, you know, I want to be the guy that helps other designers. So I put a lot of content around helping mindset and creative people like break, try to get out of their funk, do you know what I mean? And help them out. But what you'll see is like the content I put out is also twofold because even like when I share a post and how I think that works for a getting clients and also showing designers how I do stuff, which they can then take away. So like I said, like, it's not like I don't do five posts a day. You know, I'm pretty consistent. I maybe do four or five a week. I'll have some days off because I don't want to be on social media every day. Um, I enjoy my life outside of work. And I think not putting a huge amount of pressure on it has kind of allowed me just to get into this vibe. And also it's like just thinking about what I'm putting out. You know, it isn't just, there isn't pictures of my dog. There isn't pictures of me around the fire, you know. I used to do a lot of that, but I fully focus my Made by James account on work and getting clients and helping designers. That's what it's there for. In the stories and stuff, I'll share a bit more day-to-day life agency stuff, but the content is fully focused on business, making money, you know, making a life for myself. You are making the transition, and, and we actually had an episode on this a while back where we talked about the like six levels of freelancing part one and two, which is episodes 185 and 186. But as you get to level five and level six, you start to what I call like graduate to other levels where you start offering done with you a coaching sort of thing or do it yourself, a course sort of thing. And you're now getting into that, which is a wonderful part of the journey as a freelancer, but it's because you've put so much work and effort into building your name, your brand, your credibility as a service provider first and earning the right to do that, which I think is a huge part of this. Let's change gears a little bit here and talk through uh, your process for sales because we're kind of on the theme today of it takes more than passion. That's the theme of this podcast. And if you're a designer listening right now, really anyone in any creative field right now, passion is great. It's a great motivator. It's a great place to start. But if we want to make a living from it, we have to build processes around especially our weak points, but even our strengths. Like you have your creative processes, you have processes for sales, for client acquisition, which we just kind of talked about. So I want to talk about um, the next step in what I would call like your funnel, which is the sales process. Because they're discovering you right now, top of funnel from all of your your digital footprint, basically. You have a website, you have your uh, social media accounts with hundreds of thousands of followers, you have your Pinterest, which we didn't even get into, which has millions of views on there, the stuff you've posted on Pinterest. And people are finding you, they're learning more about you, they're becoming aware of you, they're building trust with you, which is the most important part because you're sharing your process, you're sharing how you think, you're showing them what it would be like to work with you essentially. And then they land on your website and they fill out the form to potentially work with you. And actually, you actually have a mailing list too. How big a part is your mailing list, by the way, in your overall business? I would urge every creative to build a newsletter or a mailing list, uh, whatever way you want to call it. I think it's an essential thing, but it's, yeah, it's definitely, mine is very much more designer focused rather than client focused. So obviously baby giant has a very much more client focused agency work feel to it. Whereas made by James is very much nurturing, guiding, but that has been essential to me being able to sell the course as well. It has been and it has accurately and has targeted i think i should say is you know because especially with like we talk about numbers and you know, yes two hundred twenty-eight thousand or whatever it is on instagram you know which isn't a stupid number and i'm very proud that i've got that i've never bought any followers i've never you know faked it or done anything but instagram my for like only like one or two percent of my followers see my shit. that's why i feel a newsletter is 
you know, I'm constantly trying to push people to my newsletter because if you want to hear from me, this is the place to do it because I'm in control of sharing that information. I'm in control of when you get it. Whereas something else that like we talked about with rented land, social media, they could take my account down tomorrow if they wanted for me looking at somebody funny. I don't even know what they do now, but yeah, newsletter is essential. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. We had, uh, we had Peggy Dean, which I think is a friend of yours on the podcast in episode 201. So just a few episodes ago. And she said the exact same thing. She has a social media following over a hundred thousand. And she says her mailing list is by far the most valuable asset in her business. And that's why, again, I'm trying to get more and more of our followers to understand that because you said one or 2% of your, of your Instagram following will see the posts that you make, but the industry average of a mailing list is 20% open rate. That doesn't even include the people that still see your subject line and your name it puts you top of mind again. It don't even open the email. And most email lists that I've seen that I have are 30% plus open rates. If you keep them clean and happy and active. I just want to jump in super quickly. I've got a 43% open rate on mine. It's a, it's a beast. Nice. So I'm trying to get up to 50. I love it. You're more than, you're more than double the industry average. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I like being more than that. Well, I'm also double the size of the average human. So that's right. <laughs> Yeah, you're a big dude. All right, so let's let's move on to the next step in the in this process of your sales process. Because again, like most creatives, at most they'll get like a court request or an email or someone asks their rates and they'll text it back or their email it back, and then they're scared to get on the phone or do anything or they they come from a really timid, scarcity kind of mindseted place. And I feel like from what I've heard from your sales process, you you have a pretty good process in place to weed out bad leads, to bring in the good leads and then close them. Can you talk through what happens when the point that someone actually reaches out to you for pricing or for a quote, what you do from that point on? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's also before I jump too far into it, I think process should always be evolving. My kind of onboarding validation, client validation process is constantly evolving. And it's even different now from what it was six months ago. So I think what you should be doing is I'm a big believer, like whenever I get too comfortable, I'm thinking that like something's got to change here. So I change it up and I'm always, I'm big into like relearning and like asking people and actually like, so what do you do? How do you onboard clients? And then going, my initially, I'm like, well, that would work for me. And then I go away without the ego and go, well, that's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's really, really important to always be evolving your process. But to kind of answer your question, so let's talk about logo design and, you know, onboarding a client in that respect. So time is extremely important and it's extremely valuable and you don't want to waste it on people that can't afford you. So especially when it comes to kind of my brand uh, and who I am. I think if you start on the right foot with reference to controlling the process, it allows you to control the creative process. So there's so many processes within processes within processes. But if somebody comes to me, let's say via my website, emails me via my website, message me on text, LinkedIn, DM on Instagram, you know, message on Pinterest or you know, word of mouth or whatever it is, I always ask them to email me. So paper trail is essential. I don't like to flap around in WhatsApp, DM, email, you know, I want one place to communicate with my clients. So if anybody ever contacts me from any particular direction, I'm like, send me an email, give me a brief idea of what it is you do. Um, what your plans are, yeah, a little bit of background just to kind of, just to kind of give me some idea. What that immediately does is the people who can't be bothered to email me, 
that tells me that they're not that interested in doing a logo. So if you can't be bothered to send me an email with a little bit of info, you're gone. You know, if they're like, oh, can't I just tell you here? I'm like, you know, I'm trying to figure out myself whether I want to work with you as well. Not necessarily do you want to work with me. So if you can't be bothered to do that, I'm not interested. So anybody that does email me, I have like a particular process and based on deliverables, I have like a pricing structure. So I'm very open and upfront about what my, what my services cost. So basically what I've done in the past is I will have, they'll send me a little brief email about what it is they want. I will send them a pre-formatted kind of email template based on these are my packages. This is what you get within these packages. Ultimately it's based around logo design. So I have like a logo package. I have like a brand identity package and the further you go down, the cost increases. But then I also have like a bespoke package where because obviously at the agency, we do website, email marketing, SEO, and all the rest of it. So other people who I work with have all the other skills to do all the other bits and pieces. So sometimes people might come in through the logo funnel and leave spending 30, 40, 50 K on websites and all the rest of it. So it's quite a nice little in, but what I do is I share that straight away, those prices and what that allows me to do is start the validation process. If they've got the money, they'll email me back. 70% of the people that ask me for prices, I never hear back from. And I think having this kind of process in place has allowed me not to waste time on 70% of the people that reach out to me and fully focus on my time on the people that do. But like I said, like my process is evolving and it has recently evolved. So now I do something slightly I've tweaked it ever so slightly. So they will still come through that email funnel. They'll ask me, can I, can I blub? Um, yeah, I'd love a logo or I'd love to do work with you. I'd love to build my brand with you and all the rest of it. What I actually do now, which is I have an added step in front of that, which is basically I get them to fill out a little form and that little form is just gives me their contact details. I ask them to just give me a little bit of insight about the company. And I also ask them for their budget. So I have like under five, between five and 10, 10 to 20, 20 plus. And the reason I started to do this was because I want to offer more and more. And it's not about using the client's budget up. It's about me being able to do more for the client. And I think that's a very, very important way to look at it. I'm not a big believer in like charging people different amounts of money based on how much money they've got, but. If somebody's got five to 10 K, I'll basically jump on a call with them and say, look, what do we need and what can we achieve for your budget? Basically, I want to do slightly less work, but do bigger projects. That's kind of where I've evolved to. Like I was doing like 80 to hundred logos a year over the last five years. I want to be moving to 10 to 15, but much bigger projects, which allow me to do more coursing, more coaching and all the rest of it. So the kind of little tweak in the process now is asking the client up front and getting them to be honest with me about what are they willing to invest in this process? You know, one important fact to, to point out here for anyone listening and saying, I want to replicate this process. And that is that James is not desperate for leads. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I see people who are like chasing down every single lead that comes in because they're so desperate for it. If you are desperate for leads, this is not necessarily the, the, the process you want to follow. And, and I learned this from Alex Ramosi, which is an incredible entrepreneur. And his process for this is first create lead flow, then learn how to monetize that flow. 
And only then do you start adding friction into that process. So if you're still struggling to figure out what it is you're doing or what your process is, and you don't have a lot of leads, get on the phone with everybody. Talk to everybody, budget, no budget, whatever. Just talk to everybody to learn. And then as you start to get more and more clients, you learn more about them, you start to to close more people, then you could start adding layers of friction in like James has done here to weed out people who are clearly not a good fit. And you started first with an email and you gave pricing up front and that would weed people out. Now (laughs) you show your budget ranges as under 5K, i.e. anyone that knows how forms work and how things typically work. If you click that first option under 5K, he's probably not going to really give you much time because like that's under my threshold. Like everyone's threshold is different. So you can put yours like under a thousand, under 2000, whatever your, your budget ranges are. But I just now started doing that on my website, which is doing budget ranges, which allows me to keep people from like just putting no budget or not sure or whatever. Like they have to select one of these things for their budget. And so if it's the lowest number, probably not a good fit for me. (laughs) Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't. Because most freelancers' number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. We kind of mentioned at the beginning, it's about saving time. I know people who will go through creating PDFs, they'll create presentations, they'll have discovery calls with people all before they understand the client budget. So they'll put in days and days and days of work to find out the client's got a hundred bucks. You've just lost a huge amount of money on that person. Do you know what I mean? So like I said, like I'm in a bit of a luckier position now because I've validated my offering through decades of building a reputation, but it wasn't always that case. It's kind of evolved to what it is now, like you say, but. I don't think we should be, as creatives, scared about asking our clients, how much do you want to spend? Because it's not about being rude. It's like, how can I, A, bring the most value to you for your budget? I'm trying to validate whether I'm the right person for you. And if I'm not, if they are slightly shy, I can introduce them to people who I know that do work with that budget. Do you know what I mean? As well. So some of the prices I kind of have put out there, you know, when they've put in this budget range, I've put it out there. I'm thinking they're not going to say yes to that. And they do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I think, I think as creators, we've just got to get slightly more confident about the money talk. Like I said, I've been in this game for like 17 years. I still struggle with it, but I just tell my, the man in my head who's telling me, 
you know, to be quiet, to shut up. You know, I think you just learn to deal with it better and go through the process better. But they've come to you for a reason, ultimately. These people have found me for a reason. They like my work. I'm trying to figure out how much of that good work I can give them. So if they have got a slightly bigger budget, I know I can dive deep into helping them with their packaging. I can go dive deep into helping them with their social media content creation. I can help them with animation for that budget. So they might think, well, maybe I'll just get a logo for that. But then they realize they can get all of this for that as well. So money talk is tough for creators, but it's so essential right at the beginning, not kind of like after a few days of chatting because you're not going to get that time back. Unless they do say yes and they have got a budget, but it's quite a bit of a gamble. So let's let's move into the pricing process because I think it sounds like you might have moved more to a quote-based process where you really like, you find out what their budget is, you figure out what cool package can I build around this budget to give them the most value possible, to give them the best transformation versus what they might've expected, which is the Campro logo. They left with like an incredible like end product. So you've kind of moved to that, but I still think anyone listening right now, you can probably employ that sort of process, which is like value-based pricing. It's a lot more nuanced, but you used to do, I don't know if you still do this or not, tiered pricing. And I thought that was fascinating because so many people don't offer pricing tiers. And as a matter of fact, most creatives, oh, they're so bad at this. I'm so sorry if you're listening right now and I'm, and I'm making you feel bad. I don't mean to make you feel bad. I'm, help, I'm trying to help you. But they do hourly pricing, which to me is like the worst. All you're doing is you've created a day job for yourself, which is literally the reason most of us got out of our day job is to not be in a day job anymore. Can you talk about the tiered pricing or, or your thoughts around pricing in general? Yeah. I mean, like you say, time for money is not a fun game. I mean, I was in that game for a very long time. And like I said, you don't just start off like coming fresh out of the blocks. Yeah, I'm just going to be a value-paced designer because you don't understand, A, what value you can bring yet or really what that, I mean, you've just heard a buzzword on social media and then you're just trying to blag it. You saw the Chris Doe uh, YouTube video and you said, oh, I'm going to do value-based pricing. <laughs> exactly. I love Chris. He's a good mate of mine. And yeah, I mean, but this is the thing is that it's the kind of when people see that there is a process behind being able to achieve that as well, isn't there? But when you talk about fixed based pricing or structured based pricing, this is still a thing that still works behind the background of like my value paced kind of budget structure thing that I do now. I don't don't really have, we'll call it an MBJ combo, whatever we want to call it. But, you know, people will, st I still will have an idea of how much I charge for logo. I know how much I charge for logo. I know how much I charge for bigger brand. I know how much I charge for illustrations. I know how much I charge for packaging, depending on how many bits and pieces there are and all the rest of it. So what I did for a very, very long time, I said only up until recently was I had a basically a structured fixed price logo pricing process. And it wasn't necessarily based on the value to the client. It was more based on the value that I can bring to the client. So it would constantly go up. I up my prices by a small increment every single month, every single month. But over a year, you're starting to see big changes. So like everybody listening, just up your prices by 5% right now. Just do it. And I guarantee everybody will still say yes to your prices. And suddenly you've made 5% more money. But anyway, that's another thing. I love that because I, I always tell people, just double your prices right now and you'll still get a bunch of yeses. But the 5%, people can stomach that a lot easier than the doubling of prices. So I love that. Just 5% a month. Yeah, just a tiny, tiny little bit make a big difference over time. Because you're still doing the same amount of energy, same amount of work, but you're just making a little bit more money. But the fixed-based pricing structure was something I did for a long time. And it was 
all based on deliverables because I am so refined in my process. I've done it hundreds of times, hundreds of hundreds of times. I know exactly how long each element of my process takes. So I have an hour's kind of discovery called my client at the beginning of the project. I then go through my word mapping process. I then go through a sketch process and then refine my sketches and then present my idea. I'm a full ass into one idea rather than half ass load of ideas. And what happens if the client loves that? Great. We're, we're signed off. If they don't, we focus on what they like, what they don't like. And then I go back to this stage and I do, 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 and they get four sets of revisions. I know exactly how long each part of my process takes. So I can accurately go, right, a logo generally takes me on a really, really good day, 10 hours. On a time where I have to do a little bit more effort and blah, 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 it could take 50. Do you know what I mean? So I always set myself up knowing that, yeah, fully focused. This isn't like doing like a three hour day and saying I've worked all day on it. This is like stopwatch starts. I know exactly how long word mapping takes. I know exactly how long I need to sketch for. And because I've done it so much, the ideas come quicker and quicker and quicker, which is good, obviously. But yeah, so what I would do is like, based on a certain amount of deliverables, I would create like tailored packages. So I'd have uh, let's just kind of just put random numbers on it. But I mean, let's say I had a logo package for $3,000. For that, they would get a logo. That's it. Then I would have a package for $5,000, which might be the brand identity package. For that, they get logo. They get a brand guide, like an identity guideline stock with associated typography, colorways, you know, logo usages and all the rest of it. Then there might be another package under that for like seven and a half thousand, which would have an animation bolt on. And they'd also get a set of social media tiles that they can use as templates to create consistent kind of content across their things. So that worked extremely well for me. And it got me to this point where I am today. People might say, well, why do you change it? And it's just like, I'm just saying what works now. I'm just seeing how this new way works. I'm trying to evolve my process and trying to get bigger projects and for example, with this structured pricing, somebody might come to me for 15K and I'm giving it to them for like seven. Do you know what I mean? And they're not kind of getting the very best out of me as that, as I could be giving them. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of reason why I've changed it. But what that does is it allows me to almost create this kind of space for people where I can cover a lot of basis, you know, say if you want a logo say you've got 5k or whatever or 4k and you realize, well, I could, if I, I could spend an extra thousand to get the brand identity package, or I could save a thousand and get the logo package. What it did was it actually widened my net for people's budgets rather than just saying one package, this is my price. That's it. They would then allow their budget dictate what they wanted. Oh, yeah. oh, I can actually afford the animation as well. So I'll get that. It's me up front saying, this is how much it costs. Cause I think that's what clients do like. They've come to me. Their first question is like, how much, how much does it cost to work with you? Do you know what I mean? And like I said, like now I do develop that conversation a bit more and jump on a call with them to find out what they need. But before it was like, here you go. This is it. If you can afford it, great. If you can't, don't worry, you know, and that's. Yeah, that was my way. I, I was getting like, so like 800 to a thousand inquiries a year, which is ridiculous. When I say like 70% of them 
have five bucks, you know, or 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. So it's just trying to figure out what way works for you. And that is so the pricing structure does really work, I think, in some respects. I said that thing that I learned from Alex Ramosi before about creating a flow of consistent leads, then monetizing that flow and then adding friction. Most people, I did the math, it's like 75 to 85 inquiries per month that you, that you've been getting. And I'll say like most people listening right now don't even have a third of that much, probably not even a 10th of that for a lot of people. So like work on some of these other things that James was talking about at the beginning of this, of this interview, where like he's built his digital footprint to bring in this sort of flow into his business so that he has the luxury of cherry picking the ones he really wants and turning down the ones that he doesn't want to work with. It doesn't work within his budget or it's not a good fit for him. We always bring this back to relationships or romantic relationships on this podcast, but so you're not that desperate weirdo sending like text after text to the one person you went on that one date with. They weren't filling it, but you're so desperate that you're just like bugging them on social media. And they're like telling your friends about how creepy you are. And now your reputation's ruined. Like you don't want to be that person. You want to have a really good flow of, in our case, leads. And we're not going to go to the romantic equivalent of that, but like, you see what I'm saying here? So I do want to talk about a topic that came up. It wasn't on my original outline, James, but this is one that came up looking at your budgets, your pricing. And this is a really, a really important thing for people to understand is that you're not working with broke clients. You're working with a lot of people with good budgets, which I think are mostly businesses. And that brings us to the question. Again, I got the neon sign behind me that says it takes more than passion. A lot of people are like, I'm not passionate about working with businesses. I'm a logo designer and I want to work with bands. I want to make those, you know, those death metal logos that look like all jumbled and messy. It's like, they want to make logos like that. That's what I'm passionate about, but they don't think the fact that those, those bands have a hundred dollars for the logo. Like, how do you approach that sort of a thing? Of like, I want to work with the people that I'm passionate about. Yeah, I think it's through um, perseverance and patience. You give yourself the ability to become a bit more picky. In the beginning of my career, I said yes to everything, even if I couldn't do it. So this was before I niched down into logo design. I was like, people would come to me and say, can you do a mural for my shop? And I go, yep. Even I've never done it before, but I'm going to figure out how to do it. Because I realized very luckily, I've realized quite early on that it's more important to pay my bills and keep the lights on and have some money to be able to pay for food than it is for me to sit here and go, well, I'm not going to do that mural because it's not what I do. Yeah. So in the beginning, I was very much like every client is a lead. So I'm going to do whatever that I need to do to get them in the door. And my theory is that once that client's in the door, they might introduce me to another client or two clients, or I did a good job for them. And then they told their mate. So over a decade, it was yes to everything. Can you build an app? Yes. Can you do a magazine for me? Yes. You know, can you do a mural? Yes. Um, and as I said, if I didn't know how to do it, I'd figure it out. Obviously, I, I, my business partner, AD, like who works at Baby Giant with me, you know, I've kind of now kind of got off on me by James on a little bit of a tangent here, but between us, we would just figure it out. You know, we weren't fussy. We did work that we hated, but it paid the bills. It kept the lights on. I got us through year one, year two, year three, year four. Suddenly, we were starting to get more projects, better paying clients, bigger budgets around work that we did like doing a little bit more. Don't get me wrong. We still had to do some stuff we didn't like to do, but the ratio was changing. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like boring average stuff all the time. It started to be slightly more exciting, slightly bigger budgets, you know? And over time, like I said, like Baby Giants year 12 now, obviously that was five years or so in the agency before I started Baby Giant. But 
I think what you've got to do as a designer in the early stages is survive. And then once you've gone through the survive stage and you get to, and you put the time in, you know, I hate to rhyme, uh, but you start to thrive. You know, when you're thriving, when you've got a good flow of projects coming in, I just say like some people will come to me and they'll give me their brief and they'll tell me their project. And I'm like, that just doesn't, they've got the budget, but I'm just like, that doesn't really I tend to think I can like logo wise turn my hand to anything, but if it's like, if I don't really learn with them personally, or, you know, they're like, well, I've got this cool design. Can you just make it for me? I'll pay you whatever you want. I'm like, it's just not, that doesn't really excite me. Do you know what I mean? You know, maybe go somewhere else. So I think over time you get given the choice to kind of say no to stuff that you don't want to do, which allows you to do more stuff of what you do want to do. So what I would say also, though, is when we talk about niching is don't niche yourself into a corner. Like you said, I only want to do logos for heavy metal bands or whatever, which is great. You know, that's, that's a wonderful thing that you want to do. But my theory is, especially if you're a logo designer, you've got to remember that like, logo design is a niche by itself. Logo design for heavy metal bands is a niche within a niche, you know. So what you're doing is your client base is going, you know, every time you niche down... <laughs> You know, you're probably niching yourself into a corner. And what happens is, let's take COVID, for example. Like, if you were a logo designer for the hospitality trade, over the last three years, you would have been absolutely f***ed. Not a good time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you've got to, my theory is, if you are a logo designer, you should be able to take that skill and do that for anybody. Yes, there might be some stuff that you don't like as much, as you did, there'd be projects you don't like as much as other projects, but your job is to survive. This is a career. You've got to make money. This is a business ultimately, isn't it? So you've got to kind of have a bit of a fine line, a bit of a moral line of like survival and thriving and all the rest of it, I think personally anyway. But you know, my point isn't always right. No, I love your point of this. So like, just to kind of bring it all back to that, it seems like this is the mantra of this episode, which is create flow, monetize flow, add friction. When you're in their survival mode, it's all about creating a flow of leads, any sort of lead. And you're just saying, yes, you're in yes mode to those people. That's the monetize flow part. You're just saying, you're monetizing whatever you can get. And that's what you did for a while, James. And then as you got bigger and bigger over time and, and a lot of blood, sweat and tears and doing projects that were bill paying worth that you weren't necessarily passionate about. Only once you reach the point where you had enough leads coming in, now that you're at like 70, 80 a month, you can say, I can start adding a lot of friction to this. Now I can start turning down certain types of work. I don't do murals. I don't do uh, websites. You have an agency for that, whatever. And maybe we can get into that a little bit, but only then do I say like, oh, I'm only doing logos and I can start being selective of the types of clients that I work with. And it all stems honestly from how quickly can you get to a sustainable place as a designer or a freelancer in general? If you're working with broke metal bands, going back to that like death metal logo, burnt leather font kind of thing, if that's all you do, like it's going to take hundreds of clients to make a living. Whereas if you're doing something in more of the corporate space or, or businesses with actual budgets, all of a sudden, I only need a few of those projects. Like you said, you were giving out numbers, 40, $50,000 projects. Like I only need one or two of those to survive. And that allows me to then do whatever the hell I want. If I want to grow my business more, great. If I want to be more passion focused, if I want to do something for a cause, I have that freedom, but I don't have that if I don't have that core of high budget projects to work with. And that takes clients with actual budgets who need usually businesses of some sort to support them so that they have those budgets. I think one thing I kind of want to add here, because I know we are obviously business and career and everything is super important, but it's really important to, for every, all of us individually as well, 
is to understand what success looks for us. For example, if success for you is making 20, 30 grand a year, having your weekends, going on lovely holidays, that's wonderful. You know, do everything you can possibly do to achieve that. You know, don't get clouded by you need to be making seven figures or you need to be busting 18 hour days or if you're not reading 25 books a week, you're stupid. You know, I think we're getting constantly so much noise. So my definition of success is being the very best I can be. So I push myself very hard. I'm trying to see what's possible for me, but I also work stupid amount of hours. Do you know what I mean? I wish I had more time off, you know, but that's, that's what I love. I love this place I'm in. I love trying to explore, but you know, I think if you're, if you are happy busting some six hour days, making good money, you know, and that's, that's what success is for you. Do that. I know you don't have to be me, you know, you don't have to Brian, you know, I think it's, I really want to kind of get that across. Yes. Money and business and careers is super important, but the definition of what success means is different for everybody as well. So that's why I think plans are so important. Like what is your plan? Who do you want to be? What do you want to earn each year? Make that happen. Don't just sit on your ass and fuck around and then complain about it. Put a stake in the ground and become whatever you can become. But like I said, I just want to, before I forgot it, it's like, we're talking about big monies, you know, I personally do quite well. The agency does quite well, but that's me. That's my drive. That's my success. That's what success means for me. Somebody else might be different for Brian. It might be different. So Focusing on yourself is super important to actually become who you want to become as well. And you actually said that at the beginning of the interview was setting a vision for yourself so that you can filter everything through that. And it's important to have two different visions because you have your vision for your personal life. What do you want your lifestyle to look like? And then you build your business vision on top of that. And if you don't have either of those, then like listening to this podcast, you're going to be the type of person that goes off over every episode and says, I'm going to go do this thing. Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to go do that thing. You have entrepreneur ADHD, which is a thing I honestly struggle with myself, even with having these visions mapped out in a well-documented thing. But uh, it's something to consider at least to sit down and think through like, what do I want my life to look like? And then what does my business need to look like in order to fit that life? And then building the things that me and James have talked about in this episode into your business so that you can build whatever success is for you. Because again, it's not all about money. We're called the Six Figure Creative Podcast, but it's about building the life that you want for yourself. And money is a big part of that. And you know, I'd rather make money from my creativity than from a day job. But yeah, you make a really good point there. One more thing on my list that I wanted to talk about. I have so much other stuff we haven't got, even got to, but you mentioned having a process for client referrals. I feel like I'd be letting our audience down not to hear what that process is because I talk to people all the time, like what is your process for client acquisition? If you're not 100% booked up with your ideal client and turning down projects left and right and cherry picking the ones you want, then it's your duty to do client acquisition work until referrals are bringing enough work in for you to turn everything down. And James, you've gotten to the point where with your digital footprint, and your client referrals, you're able to keep yourself 100% booked up beyond capacity and you can turn down projects left and right. And a lot of people that don't have a referral process in place to then eventually build that big referral pool. So for our audience, like what can they do to start getting more referrals from the clients that they work with? Aside from obviously being good at what you do, which is something that people don't think about. Like I can't get referrals. It's probably because you're not very good. So let's, let's just assume they're great at what they do. What's the process for client referrals? Yeah. So I think this year, I think I'm going to do probably close to 30 to 35 projects. I think 40% of those are from referrals. So clients I've worked for that have given my name to other people. So let's talk about why those are good to start off with. I suppose referrals are really good because there's no pitching. They basically know the work. 
I've already broken that trust barrasly. They've got the trust from their mate. So basically it's just a very simple conversation of when you can start. That's why I love referrals because if there's no fluff, it's like, I've seen you work. If they trust you, I trust you. And they already even have a good idea of budget too. Exactly. Yeah. So if, I mean, if somebody comes to me now and says, well, uh, you worked with my mate five years ago, they're going to be in a bit of a shock. You know, if they, if they came back, you know, within a year, you know, you're not going to be any crazy different, whatever, but yeah, so referrals are really, really good because it's, it saves any of that faff, any of that belly tickling. I love British terms so much. Yeah. <laughs> belly yeah. tickling. <laughs> Just imagine a dog lying down and giving it a tickle, trying to make it happy. That's what I like to call it. But so it stops any of that. So the way you can do that is, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I treat all of my clients like they're not, like they're my friend, basically. They are not a monetary transaction. They are my friend. I partner with them on their work. Through my process, I don't dictate creativity. I control the creativity. I say, you know, you've come to me. This is the way we should go. If they ever have any thoughts, insight, feedback, I'm not the designer to go, that's an anabolic to me. I'm right, you're wrong. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Let me explore it. So I partner with my clients rather than you know, do work for them. And I think what that does, along with treating them with respect, doing good work, being on time, you know, being friendly, you know, going above and beyond for them. The way I look at it is my clients pay me to advertise myself. They pay me to do a job, which I can then use as an advertising tool to get more work. They are paying me to advertise myself. So I do the best possible work I can do Obviously, to a point, go above and beyond. You know, you don't want to be doing crazy loads of free stuff for the sake of it. But, you know, because obviously you'll end up losing money. But always, like I said, treating them with a huge amount of respect and allowing them to be a controlled part of the process. I think what this does is it allows people to feel very comfortable. Obviously, if you're working with business owners, business owners have friends who are business owners. So we all talk, we all have groups of people, and we are so... I'm a big believer in like people may forget a product or something they buy, but they won't forget an experience. Yeah. And I think there's not enough time and energy put into making the experience of working with you. That is something that all designers should be doing is like when people work with me, I want to make it the best experience they've ever had working with a creative, very hands-on, very friendly always over deliver. And also once the project's finished, there is a process of like three months later, you know, how are you getting on? Would you mind leaving me a testimonial? Is there anything I can do to help? Ultimately, there's two things that can do is it A, put you back in your client's mind, get you more work. And it also just adds to that experience of like, you know, this guy actually totally cares. And there's a lot of Burn and churn. You mentioned a few of them. Fiverr, 99 Designs. In the door, money out the door. If you want to charge good money, you have to create an experience for your clients. Um, from the moment they reach out to you to the moment you give them the final files and they pay their final deposit, making everything seamless. And I guarantee the next time they're around their mate's house and their mate's going, oh, I'm starting up this company, they'll go, go to Made by James for your branding. Do you know what I mean? And that happens. Concentrate on experience and it won't happen overnight, but suddenly you've got all this work and all your clients become little marketing assets for you. 
they're in a little gathering over here. They're in a little chat with their mates over here. They're on holiday with their in-laws. You know, suddenly they're talking business. Your name gets mentioned because you were fun to work with. You did great work. You're a nice guy. You're a nice girl. You're a good human. And they'll refer you. So yeah, it seems simple. It's not, but over time, compound effects and all that. Yeah. So sites like Fiverr, they're really good on facilitating a transaction. I've never really formed a relationship with anyone I've hired off Fiverr before. And I have hired people off Fiverr before for little, little nickel and dime projects, like editing something or something like technical work. But what you said is really important. They may forget the product or the project, but they'll never forget the way you, you made them feel. If you leave a really good impression on them, that will last for a long time. And when they have those get togethers with their friends, the people that they, that you want to work, there's other people you want to work with. Assuming you work with people that you want to work with, they always hang out with other people that you want to work with. They'll start to throw your name in the, in the hat when it comes time for a project to come up. So I think this is a good place to wrap up here because like we're, we're, we're past the hour here at this point. And I know it's the end of the day for you. And you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta get off and get some, get a beer. I don't know what you do after work. We could always do uh, episode two, MBJ, Brian, at a later stage anyway. I think we've only just scraped the surface of what's going on. I know. I know. Like I said, I've still got like six or seven bullet points on my outline here that we didn't even get to touch here, but <laughs> we'll have to have you back on the show. But where can uh, people go to connect with you, learn more from you, whatever you want? Where do you want to send our audience right now? Ultimately, the beautiful thing now is you type in made by James onto the old titty net onto Google, you know, my, my bearded face comes up. So just type in made by James on at made.by.james on Instagram and Made by James on Pinterest. And there's also my website, themadebyjames.com. And every week I'm dropping free value on my newsletter. So we're going to be talking, we talked about newsletters, get online and I can teach you how to build a newsletter. How about that? Win, win, win. That's great. Yeah. So if you go to our show notes for this episode by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash 204, we'll have links to all of James's Instagram, website, everything. And you can get to it from there if, if all else fails. So thanks so much for coming on here, James. It's been a blast. And that, I'll tell you what, that hour and 20 minutes went quick, didn't it? Super quick. Yeah, it did. It did, man. 